0: Praise the Lord all right so uh, as I mentioned earlier uh, we have um, over 20 people that are taking the membership class today uh, from the et1 campus uh, Where are all the et1 people at where, raise their hands for us all right we we're, we're just we're just so happy and glad that you guys are uh, able to join us for today's service and also uh That you are taking this step to take the class. And uh, we look forward to seeing many of you uh, join the family here at New Philadelphia Church. Um, Let's look at Galatians chapter 6 here. And uh, let's look at verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. The Word of God says, One who is taught the Word must share... All good things with the one who teaches. Somebody say amen. amen. Where are all the preachers at? Say amen. amen. That's good. I'm going to change my message right now. I'm just going to preach this verse. No. Um, one who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. I just want to thank uh, everyone who got me birthday gifts this past couple of weeks. This is my birthday a couple of weeks ago. And I got some wonderful gifts. I got this nice tie. I got another uh, couple ties. I got uh, these cufflinks from a a store that I will never usually shop from. Um, Not that it's not good, but it's too expensive. So you know. Um, And I also got a wireless keyboard. Somebody was being prophetic when they gave this gift. And uh, no, it's. uh, I started using it actually with my iPhone, and uh, it's been it's been like a whole new world. I didn't know I can do so many things on my iPhone. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, there's a group of people uh, that my wife helped organize. They got me an iPad too. I didn't get it yet because it's kind of back ordered. And um, I'm uh, expecting to see it when Pastor Benjamin uh, comes off the airplane on Tuesday night. I'm going to be very happy to see Pastor Benjamin. Very happy to see Aletheia, little Aletheia, but... Uh, I'm also going to be happy to see the iPad, too. No, but uh, thank you for those in the house that really, uh, you know how to speak my language. And uh, you really show me a lot of love. So I just want to thank everybody who shared these good things with me uh, here, uh, a person who preaches and teaches the word of God. Uh, Let's move on to verse 7 and 8. And I'm going to just kind of focus in on 7 and 8 as a launching pad for the message I have for you today. Verse 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Everyone say, Amen. Amen. Do not be deceived. Because God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, one reaps. Um, You know, you can learn a lot about the spiritual life by studying farmers. Because farmers have this great insight about sowing and reaping. When a farmer goes out and plants apple seeds, that farmer... Waters that apple seed, takes care of the soil around that apple seed, is concerned about the weather for that apple seed. Why? Because after that farmer plants an apple seed, that farmer expects an apple tree. Not many farmers will plant apple seeds and expect cornfields. Doesn't take a good farmer to have that kind of sense. You can learn a lot from watching a farmer. Because they they really understand this. They don't just know it as knowledge, but they really have experienced it. And so when they farm, I mean, they farm. And when they scatter seed, they don't just scatter a couple seeds. They scatter seeds. And they're able to, like, harvest incredible amounts of apples and corn and and olives and whatever other things that farmers farm. How many of you guys grew up on a farm? All right. God bless you, Rona. I think you're the only one in here. (laughs) <laughs> so Rona understands a little bit more than we do about the sowing and reaping <laughs> principle. Sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. It's so simple, right? Some people uh what, uh they try to call this karma. All right. Karma is a imitation of this biblical principle of sowing and reaping. Right? You shouldn't use the word karma because we're not we're not Hindus, we're not Buddhists, alright. But there is a very similar thing at work all around us. Whatever you sow, you reap. Like if you're driving down the street and somebody cuts uh, or you cut somebody else off and you're rude about it, right? I guarantee you that a little bit later, someone else is going to cut you off. And the moment you start getting angry, you should feel stupid because you just cut somebody else off in the same way. Because whatever you sow, you reap. And I'm not, just, I'm not talking about karma. I'm talking about the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. It's real. It's real. If you have children and you sow into your children, very little bit of time, very little loving words, uh, you sow into them a lot of whippings, a lot of chansori, a lot of yelling, but very few words of love you're going to reap from that child later on. I mean there there's no way that child is going to like take that around and be like I'm going to still love and honor my parents. Like they're they're going to want to rebel. They're going to feel estranged because whatever you sow you're going to reap. And this sowing and reaping principle it applies to our spiritual walk and one area of our spiritual walk that Christians they just don't seem to get it about the sowing and reaping principle, is in the area of commitment to a local church. Christianity in the Western world has become more like a flea market than a church. It's all about giving the least and expecting to get the most. You know what I mean? When you go to a flea market, ever go to a flea market? When I was growing up in Philly, I used to go to flea markets all the time. You find some amazing things at flea markets. But that's how a lot of Christians in the Western world, they approach the church. They give the least, but they expect the most. They have this consumer mentality. And this cheap consumer mentality in the light of today's word, it doesn't make any sense. Because you got to understand that when it comes to commitment to a local church, whatever you sow, you reap. But a lot of people, they seem to sow very little. They sow very little attendance. They sow in very little tithing. They sow in just a little bit of prayer. They sow in just a little bit of uh, offerings and service. And then they turn around and then they expect the church to give them the most. They expect the church to give them a whole lot back, even though they're sowing in just a whole little bit. And what we need to understand from this word here of the sowing and reaping principle is, if you sow in just a little bit, you need to understand that you're going to reap just a little bit. Now, some of you may get your wheels turning and you might want to bring up the uh, issue of grace. Well, I thought grace is all about Contributing nothing and getting everything. All right? And, and, and yes, I believe in grace. Oh, I believe in grace. But let me tell you about something about grace today. All right? The grace of God is delivered to us in the context of a covenant. The grace of God always comes to us in covenant. Covenant is a form of relationship that is filled with commitment. Covenant is like a relationship that is like supercharged with commitment. That's what a covenant is. And when God gives us his grace. Now, when it comes to his grace for salvation, this is where predestination helps, right? It's completely a gift of God. That's what Paul is arguing in Ephesians chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. I mean, really, there's nothing we can contribute when it comes to our justification, our our salvation onto heaven. There's nothing we can contribute to that. But once you are in the kingdom and you're now a new creation, you, one thing you need to understand about grace is, you need to understand that grace is always comes in the, in, in the form of covenant. It always comes in the context of covenant. And so if you want the grace of God to be poured out over your life, you want the blessings of God to be abundant over you, You need to understand that when you sow, you reap. Let me tell you a little bit about sowing and reaping. In the natural, when you sow one itty little bit of seed, an apple seed, you can sow one little itty bitty seed. But you take care of that little itty bitty seed, and that seed grows up to be a tree, you sow in one seed, but you reap like a hundred apples. And if you keep on attending to that tree, you'll reap 100 apples every year. All right? That's the way grace works in the kingdom. But you still got to sow the seed. Do you understand what I'm saying? But people, they don't sow nothing. Or they just sow just a little bit. They just sow just the minimum. And then they're like, God, where's all the blessings? God, where's all the grace? And we need to understand that sowing and reaping Is a principle that is at work all around us, especially when it comes to our commitment to the local church. Um, When you live by the sowing and reaping principle, it's healthy to expect God's favor and blessings on your life. And like I explained earlier, when you sow, you should expect bigger blessings than the seed that you sowed, because that is God's grace at work, that is His favor at work. There's multiplication. But when you're stingy with your money, with your time, with your prayer, you're cheap with your uh, heart. I mean, you shouldn't really expect that much. You shouldn't expect that much from God. Why? Because although God has called you to covenant, you are refusing covenant. God has called you to a relationship of covenant but you are trying to live outside of that covenant. All right, so, so let, me, let me move on here. All right. Um, when it comes to commitment in the local church, we need to understand the sowing and reaping principle. You know, a lot of people, they come to God. I mean, they come to church because of God. But there's a lot of people also that come to church because of Relationships. People don't just come to church because of God. People come to church to see their friends, to make friends, to nurture relationships. Maybe find a boyfriend who turns into a, a best boyfriend, who turns into a husband. You know, like people come to church for relationships as well as for God. And although it is not always pointed out, everyone wants rich relationships when they come to church. Amen? I mean, people don't, people don't want just shallow relationships. Everyone wants intimacy when they come out to church. Some people, their sole reason for leaving a church will be tied to this reason. They attend the church for an entire year. They get involved and serve. And they will, they will come out to all the meetings and prayer meetings and services. And, and after a full year, when they realize they have no meaningful relationships there, they're just like, this is not right. And they're bounced out of that church. Even though the preaching's good, even though the praise music's good, they're bounced right out of that church. Some people's sole reason for leaving a church will be because of a lack of deep and rich relationships. Why? Why do some people do that? Because all of us, when it comes down to it, we were created for love. And true love does not stay shallow. True love goes deep and every christian that comes to church is looking for love they're looking for true love they're looking for intimacy and they are looking for relationships with people that will accept love and celebrate them even when they find out about who they really are even when they find out about all the struggles and weaknesses they're still struggling with they're looking for that kind those kinds of relationships when they come out to church, they're looking for true love. And when it comes down to it, this kind of desire and dynamic, it shows us that Christianity is not just about believing, it's about belonging. Tell your neighbor that right now. Christianity is not about believing, it's not just about believing, but belonging. Belonging. If you believe, then you belong. You belong in the house of God. You belong to the family of God. Right? In, our, in our passage today, in the verse 10, it says, Then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Some translations, those who are of the family of God. That's why Christians, they like to say, Hey, brother... Hey, sister. Hey, bro. Why? Because we are part of one big happy family. Amen? We're a family here. And some of us, we have great uh, natural families. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people, you came from like really like dysfunctional families. And you're like, wow. This is amazing. I didn't know I could have a relationship like this. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you believe you belong. But here's the thing. When you belong, you got to relate to people. And when you relate to people, you can choose to relate to them on a very shallow surface level. Or you can dare to go deep in intimacy. Now, here's the thing about intimacy. Especially for those who uh, came from uh, a history of trauma and hurt. Rejection. People who were wanked in school. People that were rejected even from by their parents before they were even born. Right? Here's the thing. People who've experienced things like that, they don't start jumping up and down, you know, when when you say, you know, you can have intimacy here in this house. You know why? It's because they're scared of being hurt, rejected, wounded all over again. And so the best way that they manage their relationship is to keep people at a distance. And they think, you know what? I know I'm missing out on intimacy, but you know what else I'm missing out on? is all the hurt. is all the wounds. And I've, I'd rather do without it. Thank you very much. And that's really sad. That's really sad because if you're missing out on intimate, close relationships with people in the body of Christ, I mean, you're missing out on a huge part. Of the Christian walk. In fact, you will miss out on a huge part of your Christian maturity. Because the way God's designed this whole spiritual walk to work, it only works and it only grows when you're in community. Show me a very independent Christian that's very, very on fire and reading the Bible and praying all the time. And I will show you an immature Christian. That person can be deceived into thinking, "I know all about the Bible. I know all about these prophetic wisdoms. I'm moving in all these miraculous gifts." But the Bible says, "You got all those things, you got the faith to move mountains, you got you, you can interpret tongues and you can prophesy, but if you don't have love, you're nothing." Just a big old clanging cymbal. You're missing out on love, you're missing out on a huge part of the Christian walk. And you know, when in 1 Corinthians 13, When Paul talks about love, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about your love for God? Right? He mostly has in mind, he's trying to correct and rebuke and establish the Corinth church in love relationships with each other. Because they had a perverted form of love there. They had a very disordered, they didn't really emphasize love. They were all crazy about the... All the supernatural charisma, all the supernatural manifestations, they were crazy about that. They celebrated that, but they didn't know how to relate to each other. So that whole chapter is about love in relationship with your fellow man, with the body of Christ. Each and every one of us, God calls us to a life of love, to a life of relationships and by the way some people they like to just keep two or three people very very close and then they distance themselves from anybody else you know people like that we call them sometimes we call them stuck up we call oh she thinks she's all right whatever i don't need you you know there's people like that right you know and that's also another form that's a defense mechanism because you know what if, if a person is like that and it's, they're not choosing friends of wisdom but they're choosing friends out of fear and they're only keeping those two or three friends close because they're they they do not want anyone else in because they're afraid of getting hurt from past hurts i want to make them a leader at this church because their hospitality will suck I'd be like, hey, we, 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 we want to uh, go, go out on, uh, we, we want to just welcome the newcomers. Can you help go in the back and welcome newcomers? And, you know, they're welcome newcomers, but they'll do it with a wall, you know. But, hey, how are you? <laughs> My name's John. Nice to meet you. How are you? Whoa, 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 what you telling me all about? I don't need to know all that. <laughs> all right. Uh, fine, it's okay. That's, that's all I need to know. Okay. And they, and they, just, they just talk to you with the wall up. But when it comes down to it, that's a defense mechanism. They're trying to keep themselves from getting hurt again. God calls each and every one of us to love. He calls us to intimacy. Intimacy with himself and intimacy with his people. Did you know that? Did you know that God calls you to intimacy with his people? And here's the thing about intimacy. This is the title of my message. Intimacy belongs in covenant. There's no other way. God has designed intimacy to be enjoyed. Intimacy belongs in covenant. Say that, everybody. Intimacy Intimacy belongs in covenant. And this is just the way that God has set things up. And this is very clear when it comes to the intimacy that can be enjoyed between a man and a woman. All the different forms of intimacy a man and woman can enjoy. God wants a man and a woman to enjoy intimacy in all of its different forms, but he wants it enjoyed only in the covenant of marriage. But you know what? We live in a generation that's filled with people that want intimacy without the responsibility that comes with a covenant. And uh, this is why we have promiscuity. Promiscuity is a, you, you're taking your desire for intimacy with someone. It's not just about sex, by the way, especially for women. For men, it might be just about sex. But for the women, it's not just about sex. They have a desire for intimacy. And here is a guy that seems really interested in her, in, 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 in me. And then she says, well, you know what? Maybe he can fulfill this desire for intimacy. And they have promiscuity. But, but here's the thing. When, when, um, you have pregnancies coming out of promiscuity, what do people do? Well, in the Korean community, you get an abortion with quickness. They get an abortion. They get like three abortions and nobody in the whole family knows. Or in other communities, what do they do? They have the child. And then they, they either give the child up for adoption or they try to raise the child in a single parent home. Which I think is the most honorable thing to do out of everything that you could do if you got pregnant out of promiscuity. But what happens to that child, no matter well one, if you if you abort the child, that's terrible. I mean the child gets killed. Right? But if you even put the child up for adoption, what happens? The child has to deal with all this uh foster homes, adoption agencies, uh their maturity and growth oftentimes is very difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible, especially if they get adopted into a good family, a godly family. Right? But there's so many other stories of uh, adoptees that, that have a very Terrible time. They have a very hard time growing to maturity. Why? Because that's not the way God designed children to grow. God didn't design children to be put up for adoption. And then have the children question, where am I going to go? Am I going to get separated from my brother? God didn't design children to grow up in that kind of environment. But we see, we don't think ahead to all these things. Because we think intimacy can be enjoyed anywhere. Um, Prostitution is also a form in which man tries to have intimacy without the responsibility of covenant. They realize, oh, well, here, I can pay for sex. I don't have to do all that. I don't got to have a game. I don't got to be all slick and and have swagger. I just need to have some cash. And here I can enjoy intimacy with this girl. Prostitution is a form of intimacy without covenant. Adultery. Adultery is a form of intimacy without covenant. The men and women that get involved with adulterous affairs, they enjoy intimacy with that other mistress or that other mister. But they enjoy that intimacy without the responsibilities that come with really owning up to that relationship. Without the responsibility of creating a healthy environment where children that are born out of that intimacy can grow. But Because by the way, when you have intimacy, you have children. When you have intimacy, you have new life. But... When you enjoy that intimacy without the covenant, you have new life and then but you don't have the environment, you don't you don't have the environment for that new life, that new that new person to grow up in a healthy environment. And and the thing in adultery is a lot of people enjoy this this intimacy without the covenant and then they don't think about the damaging effects that it has on their family. Especially those with children. So many Korean parents are having adulterous relationships right now. It is, a, it is a problem. This is not a, this is not a non-church problem. This is a church problem. So many Christian parents in here. I'll say it about, I'm counseling you. One third of you in here had had your parents split up because of an adulterous affair. And, and most of them are Christian parents. It's a result of people not understanding that intimacy belongs in covenant. Rape is also a form of intimacy where people want and desire that intimacy. They want to enjoy it without the responsibility of covenant. And they force their will on someone else just so that they can enjoy that intimacy without none of the responsibility of having to care for that person, learn to love that person, and learn to raise the child that might come forth from that from that rape the reason why i'm pointing out these different types of situations is because these things are abounding in our culture and the reason why they are abounding is because we in the church we don't understand that intimacy belongs in covenant we don't understand that um Chris Valentin said, we live in a culture that desires intimacy without responsibility, pleasure without covenant. And although we're living in a secular culture that does that, unfortunately, the church has been infected with this mindset. And this mindset, I'm telling you, I'm not here to talk about sex. I'm here to talk about people's commitment to a local church. This mindset has infected The way they that they come in and relate to a local church. And and it's not acceptable. And today through my preaching, I just want to just destroy all of these wrong mindsets. These unbiblical mindsets. Let me begin by saying this. If you want true and lasting change in your spiritual walk, you need a relationship with God and his people. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen And I'm sure America has a big influence on to do with this because America is all about independence about, you know, and the strengths of that we celebrate creativity and we celebrate innovation and all these things. But you know you know, the weakness of that is people are very independent about their faith. And they believe the key to growing in their spiritual walk is just to have a relationship with the Lord. But they're missing a big piece. Mm. When you get born again, that's just the beginning of a new life in Christ, right? You're a new creation. And just as when a natural baby is born into the world, and that natural baby is in great need of care and nurture of a loving family for that baby to grow into a mature, healthy adult. In the same way, God intended his children, when they are born again, he intended his children to come into a family, come into a family, a a community, a, a place where they are surrounded with nurture and care of loving spiritual fathers, mothers, brothers and sisters that can help them to grow into full maturity. But a lot of people, they um, even the way we do evangelism ministry, we we uh, we don't really emphasize this. We make sure that they say the prayer to get saved. We do a little bit of follow-up, and then we're like, "All right, there you go. You're off on your own. Here's a church list. Good luck. Good luck finding a church." All right, and, and this is just not you know, and this is why um, I, I'm all for mass evangelism. I'm all for what Billy Graham does. And I think when people get saved in these huge stadiums, it's beautiful. When Ryan Arbanke does it in Africa with millions of Africans, I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing work. You know, but one challenge that a person that gets saved at a crusade has to face is where do I go from here? How do I grow? Where's my community? That's a challenge that they have to face. As opposed to, if you are coming out to New Philadelphia Church and you're not a Christian, that's all right. If you're not a Christian in here, we welcome you. Church is not a museum. All right? We're not all here. Look at us. We're holy. All right? Uh, We want you to come. We want you to explore Christianity. All right? But the thing, the good news is, if you come out, And you keep coming out, and then you're like, like, you know what? I think God is real. You know what? I'm going to stand up to receive Christ this Sunday. And you receive Christ, that's good news. You know why? You get born again while you come out to ministry here, you're going to instantly have a family. Brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers that will nurture you and help you to grow. But so many Christians, they don't get that. They don't get that. They get saved at a retreat two hours outside of their city. Two hours outside of New York, two hours outside of L.A., two hours outside of Philly. They go get saved at a retreat and then they come home. And then they don't know what else to do next. And uh, they go back to religion. And uh, the Bible says the law kills. And when you got too much religion, man, the law kills. Man, you keep going out to churches that are filled with religious spirit, man, and legalistic, it can kill you. And so you're all excited about Christ. You got born again, but you don't have mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters. And so what happens? You compensate to try to survive. Well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to make it somehow. And we do some weird things to try to compensate and survive as a Christian. Especially if you go to a very secular environment, you know. We do some weird things to try to compensate. And then you come to New Philadelphia Church and you bring the same attitudes and the same patterns with you and i'm i'm looking at you and i'm like what are you doing that's strange behavior look i don't know what your christian experience has been like but you know what i may apologize on behalf of all the pastors that didn't quite get it or they did get it but you had a spirit rebelling on you and you didn't want to get it whatever the instance may have been Look, this is a new day. You come into this community. We want to nurture you to full maturity and health. If you want intimacy with God and his people, you got to understand that intimacy belongs in covenant. And you got to get your commitment straight. You know, if if, today is kind of packed in here. If next week... We have 500 people, more than three times the amount of people in attendance. I will be a pretty happy man. I'll be like, wow, this is amazing. Look at all these people, right? But five months later, I will not be such a happy man. You know why? Well, it will will depend on how those new people respond. But typically what we've seen new people, how new people, they, they have this orphan spirit all over them. And so they come out. They worship. They're like, this is great. God is alive here. You guys are on fire. This is great. And then when you start to relate to them, they're like, hey, back off. Uh, so what was your family background? like? Hey, don't talk about my family. Can we meet up this week? Hey, why do you want to meet up? You want to join a small group? I have my own small group. I don't know. Like People, they get excited. And then they push you away, because when it comes down to, it, the spirit of sonship uh, is, is missing in the church. It's a fatherless generation that I mean, and you know what, I applaud our generation for getting through it, because a lot of it wasn't our fault. Can I just say that? And being a person that grew up in church without strong spiritual fathers. I had a lot of teachers. Teachers are great. I love teachers. But we need teachers to come up alongside of people with a fatherly heart. We need teachers to do teaching with a fatherly heart, a pastoral heart. But you know what? I I don't have that. And I just just want to commend all y'all for getting through it. But the good news is it's not going to continue that way anymore. Because God is restoring spiritual fathers and he's releasing the spirit of sonship. So that the way that you related to the church back then is not the way you're going to relate to the church today. If you want intimacy with God, you want intimacy with his people, you want spiritual growth, you got to get your commitment with the local church straight. And it all begins with water baptism. If you've not been water baptized, you need to get water baptized. It's a commandment of the Lord. But the significance of water baptism is it's a public confession of your commitment to God. So it's like, hey world, as I go into the water, I want all of you to know that I'm no longer a Hindu. I'm no longer agnostic. I'm no longer whatever I was believing in back then i'm a Christian i 'm here to follow Christ from now on. You go in the water, you come out and you're like, "Oh yeah, I 'm a Christian now." and everybody sees it. it 's a public confession of your commitment to God. But so many people stop there. Some people don't even get there, but so many people stop there, but you know what it doesn't stop there. You need let me say it, you need membership in a local. Church, because this is another aspect, but it's the same commitment you're making to God. When you join a local, you join membership with a local church, you're not only saying, Look, look, everybody, look, I'm committing to God, you're saying, I'm committed to His people. I'm committed to be in love relationship with God's people. So, whether they hate me or I hate them, I'm not going to walk away from this so easily. I want y'all to speak into my life. And as I grow, I, I'm expecting to speak into yours. Membership in a local church is your public commitment to God's people. And with, when you're missing this form of covenant in your life, you're going to miss out on intimacy with God and his people. It's gonna stunt your spiritual growth. Um, man, let me get right into it, right? Here's the thing, right? At our, at our church, right? Man, let me tell you something, right? <laughs> at our church, when you join membership of, with our church, it's not a formality. It's not a formality. And you know, we're all still unlearning our old experiences and we're, we're trying to get with this you know, biblical standard and it's not a formality it's it's for real membership is meaningful we want it to be meaningful right and one aspect of membership is we hold you accountable we don't want to hold you accountable to a new set of rules or, or something like that we just hold you accountable to the word of god and one aspect of holding you accountable to the word of god is in tithing now here's the thing with tithing People don't like it when you talk about their money. Most Christians do not like it when you talk about their money. If I was like, hey, Graciela, I'm going to talk about your money today. She's going to be like, what for? Most people don't like like it when we talk about their money. And uh, it's because when it comes down to it, money's got a very special place in our heart. Doesn't it? Come on. Let's just be real. Money's got a special place in our heart. And that's nothing wrong with having having money in your heart. It's just, you know, you just got to make sure that God is, you know, number 1 there. And so that you're using money to serve God, not serving money as your god. But so many people they serve God as the, they serve money as their god. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You're going to love the one and hate the other. But so many people, money is their God. And when I see this in Korean culture, for a lot of Christian Korean families, money is their God. And so when is the family doing good, and when is the family doing bad? It's easy. When they're doing financial hard, when they're going through financial hardship, the family's doing bad. The relationships are all in shambles. But when the finances are doing good, everybody's hugging and happy and, and eating and going to really expensive buffets. This is how Korean Korean families are. If you're not Korean, let me tell you, this is what's happening in Korean families. And it is a doggone shame. It ain't biblical at all. And when it comes, when you join membership with our church, we we keep uh, track of your tithing. If you didn't know, you're going to find out today in membership class. All right? We keep track of your tithing. So, what do we do in the membership covenant? There's this covenant you sign at the end of membership class, if you desire. Okay, because I ain't going to, I forcing nobody to join membership today. I'm going to present it, and I'm going to be prayerful, and I'm going to be like, I hope that you will sign it and join membership with our church. All right, but on that covenant, when you sign, there's a space. You put your money, how much income I'm making in each year. And when, when people see that, they, they get really angry. And I, and I go, okay, all right, it's okay. You don't have to, and I, I'll announce it. You don't have to sign it today. And people will be like, all right. Okay, I'm not gonna sign it today. (laughs) But my neighbor's signing it, but I'm not. It's gonna look weird. She's gonna think I'm, I'm like not a Christian or something. You know, people get like you know all, all crazy. I'm like, hey, it's all right. It's all right. It's normal. You can take your time if you want. Now, but the funny thing is not that part. The funny thing is people sign it, and then they don't seem to really understand that we actually keep track of your tithing, not for the sake of being legalistic, but just simply to hold you accountable. To your commitment. Because by the way, we don't need your money here at church. But we also need your money. (laughs) You know what I mean? We don't really need it, but we need it. And a lot of people will ask, you know, why do you got to keep track of this? Look, just trust me. Trust me. I'm going to do it. Why do we... Because you know Why? Because a lot of, like I said earlier, a lot of people have money in their heart. And they say one thing and then they do another. And, and we just hold you accountable to live by the word of God. Because we believe when you live by the word of God, that is the greatest place of blessing. That is the greatest place where you can succeed and prosper in God's perfect will for your life. But you know what, the way a lot of people treat tithing, whether they're in a local uh, membership with a local church or not, you know the way they treat tithing? They treat it like child support. Let me just be real. I got this revelation the other day, right? Or this morning, actually. I got this revelation. I was thinking through. They treat tithing like child support. They, They send it, they give it, but they give it so reluctantly. Like a, a, a father of a child, of a child that they didn't really want. A father who is not in covenant with that woman, the mother of the child. And they, oh, man, all right, here you go. and Or or they treat it like child support because they're late on their payments all the time. They're like, it oh, doesn't matter. God understands. They're tied like two, three months later. Just like a a father might do for their child support. Or they give, but they don't give the amount they're supposed to give. Or they just throw whatever money is lying around in their pocket. And meanwhile, they're out there spending all their cash on bars and strip clubs. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like a natural father that might have a child. They spend it all on nice cars and all this stuff. But then when you ask them to pay child support, they get all upset. They want to fight you tooth and nail. But isn't that what a lot of Christians do with tithing? It's what you're supposed to give, but they give it so reluctantly. And they try to do everything they can to give it late, to give it not the right amount. And then... They get upset when you want to take away their visiting rights. Alright, alright, the revelation worked for me when I, when I thought about it. You know what I mean? What do you mean I'm not a member of New Philly anymore? Well, yeah, I mean, you made a commitment and you're not following through on that commitment. So I think, uh, we need to face the music here. Alright. I hate to say it, but you know. You know, you've made a decision. You've behaved your way off of membership with our church. I'm not making a decision today. You made a decision over the last three months. And I'm just confronting you of your decision. And they would be like, well, well can, I, can I still come to church? Yeah, you can still come to church. You know, it's like a father trying to like, well, can I still see my child, you know? <laughs> How many times can I visit? <laughs> anyway, anyway, man, yeah, maybe you have to grow up in an urban environment to get that. <clears throat> um, you know, uh, here in this house, um, there are brothers and sisters... But there's there's other relationships in the family of God, like mothers and fathers. And uh, God has appointed me as the pastor of this house, as a spiritual father here to this congregation. right? And uh, as the father of the house, I got to put the food on the table. Most weeks, I got to put the food on the table. You know what I mean? And do you know what it takes to put food on the table? I don't think you understand. All right? How much time I got to spend in prayer. How many times, how many nights sometimes I got to stay up. How much I got to study the word of God. Study commentaries. Try to get it straight, get it right. To bring home and put food on the table. I got to invest. Like a natural father has to invest. I got to work to put food on the house, Food on the table. And on top of that, I got to work to give you a balanced meal. I don't know if I've been doing that very good recently. I've been giving you all a lot of chicken nuggets. (laughs) Here you go. Here you go. Here's some sauce. (laughs) All right. Hey, I'm busy these days. All right. When it's busy, Papa goes to McDonald's and brings you home some fast food. I know. I, I confess. But, you know, my commitment is to give you a balanced meal so I can see y'all grow up in healthy maturity. And uh, as the father of the house, God gave me certain revelation and wisdoms about how to govern the house, how to lead the house, how to have people, uh, how to create a healthy environment for intimate relationships. And some of those decisions come with things like guidelines for prophecy. You know, and, and some people who are really into charismatic movement, they'll be like, why do you have guidelines for prophecy? That's so like rule-based, you know? We should just let people prophesy. i am be like, well, you should try being the pastor of this house. <laughs> I'm investing into the lives of my congregation members. I'm building them up in a balanced and power-filled, spirit-filled Christianity. I've been committed. I've been investing. I've been doing their healing and deliverance. I've been praying and prophesying over them over these last few years and months. I'm praying at home for them, right? I've invested in them. And in all that investment, I'm not going to let you in your carelessness walk in and you think you're all high, on your high horse and all gifted in the prophetic mood of prophetic gifts and you come and you say something that's off and throws them off for the whole next season. Or completely de- derails or delays their spiritual growth. Right? I'm not going to allow that. So, you know what? Here are some simple guidelines to help prevent that. Or, uh, when it comes to um, what we got, we got laying hands, right? Man, laying hands. Let me tell you something about laying hands. When I first began pastoring a few years ago, three years ago, when I first started pastoring here, you know, I, I knew in my spirit, I was like, something's off. We need to, we need to have some guidelines for laying hands. Because whenever people, I do an altar call, and I just start praying for people, man, power of God would just show up. Boom, people just fall, people start crying. Right? People getting touched and healed. And then there will be like all these random people will come up and start laying hands on people who are on the altar. And I'll be like, who are you? I'll be like, hey, John Michael, you know who that is? John Michael's like, I don't know. And we're like, that's not right. And we hope for the best that, oh, no, that person's probably praying something good. You know, let's believe the best in them. But this is not a case where we have to believe the best in them. This is where we need to. We need to uh, shepherd the sheep. In, in a way where they can consistently have a healthy environment in which to grow. They, they, they shouldn't have to fear a random stranger might just come up and lay hands on me right now at the altar. So I better keep my eye open. I'm I to keep one eye open. Oh, this way, this way. Is that Pastor Christian? Who's that? You know, like people shouldn't have to do that at the altar, right? Yeah. People should know every hand that touches them is a safe hand. Yeah. It's a hand that's filled with the Spirit of God. It's a hand where which the power of God is flowing through. Yeah. So what do I do as the father of the house? I lay down some lay hands guidelines. You want to lay hands? All right? You got to be on the altar team. You want to lay hands at the Sunday swim prayer meeting? You got to ask people before you just go ahead and try to impart something. Because the thing is, the Bible says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That's because there's a lot of power that occultic practitioners have when they lay hands. And a lot of people in the charismatic movement, sometimes when they don't have a father, where they're not in covenant, A lot of times they got some loony beliefs. They got some weird spirits that they're carrying along with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you think that doesn't happen. Well, I I told you, I've seen it. People have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then people have all these other counterfeit spirits. I've seen people move in the spirit of divination. One moment, move in the spirit of prophecy. The next minute, go back to the spirit of divination. And the only way you could tell the difference between the two was if you had a discerning spirit yourself. And so, you know, what am, I, what am I going to do as the father of the house? I'm going to be like, no, that we're not going to allow that. We're going to say that, lay down these guidelines. And, and as the father of the house, I want to create inside of your hearts sonship. I want to nurture sonship in your hearts. And we need to be able to distinguish between who is a member and who's not. And you might be like, well, that doesn't seem fair for the people that, don't, uh, that are not members. No, no, you're wrong. Okay, The Apostle Paul, if you read his letters, Apostle Paul had a very clear concept of in or out. Like Heidi Klum says, right? You're either in or you're out. Apostle Paul had a very clear concept of who's in and who's out. Because sometimes people that are in... Alright, if they are not repenting, if they're misbehaving, guess what? Paul's like, uh, hand that man over to Satan. Paul, what does that mean? (laughs) That means you take that homie out of the community. Because that homie is like gangrene, he's like poison, and he's gonna continue, he's gonna begin to infect everybody else with that wrong spirit if you don't remove that person from fellowship. In clear, in Paul's head, there's a clear concept of in and out. Which means, there's a way in. If you're, if you're a visitor, or you're new to our church, you've just been coming out, or you're about to take the membership class today, the reason I'm preaching this message today is because I think our young people, we, we really don't understand covenant. And what I'm trying to say is in the year of intimacy, if you really want to experience intimacy with this house, you got to come in a covenant. I'm not saying you can't enjoy some blessings and get blessed and enjoy some fellowship here and there. But if you really want intimacy with the people of this house, you better be in covenant. Because we're not looking for um, spiritual one night stands. We don't, because there are some people, they just go to this church and they go to that church and they go to this church. If you look at their life, every year they're going to a new church. Why? Because they're trying to have intimacy without covenant. And the moment they start getting confronted with the issue of covenant, they leave. The standard of this house is you got to be in covenant if you really want intimacy here. Because there's just no other way around it. Mm. Man, I've just been all over the place today, right? Sorry for the chicken nuggets. <laughs> you like chicken nuggets? No, no, no. Y'all need to eat your vegetables too. All right, And I will get you your vegetables soon. I was going to close with this, right? God really wants you to have intimacy with His people, but let me just talk about in closing how much God wants intimacy with you. God wants intimacy with you, and like I said, intimacy belongs in covenant. And so, God, understanding this, He's like, "I want to have intimate, deep love relationship with my people." He said, "Well, there's only one way." I got to establish a covenant. So, in order for God to establish a covenant by which you can experience intimacy with Him, you know what He did? He sent His only, one and only Son into the world to shed His blood and to die on the cross. That by His blood, by His death, a covenant can be established between a holy God and a sinful people. Is God really serious about this whole covenant thing? I bet, I'll tell you, uh, well, he's serious. But we can't just stop with just the covenant. We have to understand that he established the covenant in order to love us, in order to have intimacy with us. And what I'm trying to connect is in the same way, we want to establish you in covenant as a member of this house in order to have intimacy with you, in order for us to love you, in order for us to celebrate you and raise you up to your full potential in Christ. Intimacy belongs in covenant. All right, let's pray. Let's close in prayer.